0: the myth of human evolution, on evolution, science, and the lies that have made us all we are, and yet aren't. What does it mean to be human, really? What is it that distinguishes us from, say, the apes we're regularly compared to? How do we get to this version of ourselves? Let's talk. During a deep dive on another topic we'll cover soon, I stumbled across a book that drastically reshaped my perspective on the human evolutionary story and what we are and are capable of as a species. In Human by Design, Greg Braden covered the existing research that humans did not evolve as we've been taught and the resulting implications. Here in this post, I share what he and many others have to say regarding our origins and how it relates to what we've been discussing so far. We cooking with grease now. (laughs) Myths and Consequences In 1859, Charles Darwin published his landmark text on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life, creating what is considered the foundation of evolutionary biology and thought. At 22 years old, Darwin, a geologist, set sail on a five year journey aboard a British research ship, the HMS Beagle, where his role as the ship's naturalist was to document new forms of life. The observations he made of plants, animals, finches, remember those and the physical environments the Beagle explored became the basis of his theory of evolution and natural selection. Darwin, some 27 years later, published Origin of Species, in which he proposed that life began with a single, simple organism that, after countless successive iterations, developed into what we know ourselves to be today, humans or homo sapiens. It's key here to know that Darwin never offered an explanation for how that first organism appeared. But let's continue. Darwin's theory strongly suggests that all life descended from a common ancestor and that through each species struggle for life, a process he called natural selection. We observe the branching pattern that has resulted in the variety of life we can appreciate today this revolutionary assertion regarding the story of our existence was its own big bang given that it has since spawned 160 years of research to validate and build on the bold claims darwin set forth the revolution darwin set in motion did not stop at science though his theory was highly disruptive to the victorian era it arrived in providing a worthy opponent to the judeo-christian creationism endorsed by the church and laid the groundwork for many facets and aspects of society we deal with today. Natural selection, namely survival of the fittest as it was named later, is the foundation upon which evolutionary biology taught in classrooms around the world rests. Darwinism and its valuation of competition in nature have been used as a defense and justification for capitalism and the idea of the free market. Eugenics, or genetic and racial improvement through selective reproduction, was based on Social Darwinism, the same Social Darwinism that contributed to German militarism in World War I. The same Social Darwinism that contributed to the Nazism that initiated the Holocaust. It continues, The idea of superior races, the likening of people of color to more primitive humans, the scientific and medical racism that argued for the superiority of white Europeans, and the mistreatment and mishandling of minorities in the medical system today can all be traced back to that voyage in 1831. Culturally, Ricky Bobby's If You're Not First, You're Last, the idea of it being lonely at the top, valedictorians, number ones, the grind and the struggle are all artifacts of natural selection, survival of the fittest and the evolutionary fight that got us here. However, Despite the general and widespread acceptance of Darwinian evolution as fact, there are wrinkles in the story of evolution as it pertains to our current version of humans, homo sapiens, that are worth noticing. Evolution is stated as the process of change in all forms of life over generations where biological populations evolve through genetic changes that correspond to changes in the organism's observable traits. I know. Essentially a species encounters a need or evolutionary challenge in its environment. And over time, we're thinking generations, some individuals develop traits that support their ability to survive the challenge, whereas many others who do not develop those traits die out. Over time, the learned trait that supported survival becomes coded in the DNA of the species. For example, penguins that over many thousands of generations traded the ability to fly for wings that made swimming easier. This theory falls apart from modern humans, though, because the characteristics that distinguish us from our nearest supposed ancestor or genetic family member, our eyes, our advanced nervous systems, and our brains and all their functions have no intermediate steps. The fossil record has not produced the successive iterations leading up to our current software version. It seems we went from our nearest ancestor, potentially Homo erectus, to our current super-powered version, Homo sapiens, in one moderately large step. We appear to have shown up with features and traits not required by our environment. In other words, we nearly suddenly developed the ability to pass evolutionary tests we hadn't even met yet. In Origin, Darwin himself wrote, If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, the hallmark of evolution, my theory would absolutely break down. Scientists, geologists, biologists, etc. are all still looking for the successive slight modifications that gave us the ability to feel complex emotions, develop specialized tools like the suction device that the dentists use and utilize intricate language there is as yet no clear evidence of a transitional species that preceded us nobel prize winner thomas h morgan an evolutionary biologist and geneticist had this to say regarding the apparent skip or upgrade to our version of humans within the period of human history we do not know of a single instance of the transformation of one species into another In other words, there are clear and varied examples of evolution within species, but the massive leap it would take for anatomically modern humans or Homo sapiens to come to exist is unheard of and, to date, unfounded. Thus, in Darwin's own words, his theory of evolution breaks down, at least as it relates to our humans. And yet, somehow, humans like us appeared. As Greg Braden states in his book, we are not what we have been told, and we are more than we've ever imagined. Superhuman or just regular human? As stated previously, the characteristics that distinguish us from our nearest genetic relatives, our eyes, our advanced nervous system, and our 50% larger brains, were installed in version one of anatomically modern humans or homo sapiens. If having these features wasn't enough to distinguish us, then the abilities these changes afford us do. In addition to the ability to think up and create all that we see and use today, for better or worse, humans also have the ability to intentionally access deep intuition, use complex language patterns, use empathy, practice metacognition, or thinking about how and what we're thinking about, and explore detailed imagination among many others. We often take it for granted, but humans today can consciously regulate our physiological state where our prehistoric ancestors and other species were and still are unequipped to. For example, most animals or other species are unaware of the connection between breath and their physiological state, much less do they utilize it to achieve specific intended aims such as calming down, powering through a workout, or accessing altered states via breath work. And that's one example of many. Modern humans, us, are also equipped with so-called soft skills and practices such as compassion, empathy, positive thinking, meditation, creativity, and self-healing abilities that science is proving each day have concrete impacts on real life. Humans are regularly moved to act in mutually supportive ways based on the feeling of compassion or sympathy, actions that, at scale, support the survival of a species, but more on that later. Returning to Darwinian evolution, scientists, geologists, and geneticists don't point at environmental characteristics that would have required the development of not only complex language, but also compassion, which is an ordinary human trait today. If evolution is about adaptation to the environment, what in our environment caused us to develop the platter of abilities we possess today? And when did they develop? Well, it seems humans appeared on Earth with the same advanced brains and nervous systems we have today and with the ability to self-regulate vital functions already developed. Scientists using forensic technology on anatomically modern human skeletons have been able to reconstruct muscle mass, flesh and facial features and through archaeological and DNA evidence. They have found that we haven't changed in 200,000 years. Compared to the various species we have been previously thought to have descended from, humans are extraordinary. There was no successive development of our abilities. We didn't exist as we currently do. Then at some point 200,000 years ago, we did. Editor's note, you are no small fry. In Braden's words, the theory of living cells evolving, mutating randomly over long periods of time does not and cannot Explain our origins or the complexities of our bodies. We're over equipped and it seems we always have been. But why? Although unclear why we have these remarkable abilities, we'll discuss that in a future post, their presence makes the lives and creations we're able to construct nearly limitless. Yet, the pessimistic view and tone we often get from science and society is that we're small, meaningless specks in an otherwise uncaring universe. I'd counter by saying that your ability to contemplate your place in the universe also makes you responsible for that place in the universe. Starting first with confronting and revising the story of how we got here to better position ourselves for where we intend to go. The power of story and revision. Few phrases elicit such a layered response for so many people as the words once upon a time. For people of all ages and cultures, that simple phrase signals a journey worth going on that will likely teach, inspire and enlighten. From our youth, we are literally immersed in story and storytelling. It's in our movies, our education, our job training and even our genes. From bedtime stories to brand stories, from the stories we tell ourselves to the stories we tell our friends over brunch, we humans are meaning making storytelling machines and for good reason. Storytelling has been a primary means of sharing information throughout history as evidence on cave walls, various landmarks around the world, and even within our own families. This is due in large part to the power storytelling has on our, as we now understand, extraordinary brains. Stories facilitate emotional connections within our brains that make remembering the story and the lessons the stories often hold easier and more permanent. In this way, we are able to receive the benefit of the story, be it inspiration, a warning, empowerment, or disempowerment, or any other emotional aim. For instance, instilling in us who we are, where we come from, and what we're capable of in the current story of evolution, taught as early as fifth grade. The current, widely accepted story of evolution places humans at a peak of sorts. It portrays us as the outcome or result with six million years of development. So what's wrong with this? Well, if we are the apex of evolution, then all that we see and have created may be nearly the best that human imagination and invention can create, especially given how capitalism and the free market system are supposedly an economic mirror of a natural process. Does this seem right to you? If our evolution has truly been successive, developed over small steps, and is the result of struggle where a gifted few survived, as is the premise of evolution, then the challenges we face today may simply be the next thing we must adapt to for the survival of our species. And may the odds be ever in our favor. In this scenario, the challenges I mentioned in the post The Future We Choose are just the blade of natural selection, cutting away the weak as per social Darwinism or Nazism. Further, our current societal program of survival of the fittest means there needs to always be someone at the top, which has often resulted in exploitation, destruction and tax evasion. I mean deductions. If, however. For a second we consider that we have had essentially the same extraordinary biological capacity for a couple hundred thousand years we may still be on the ground floor of what is possible for us individually and collectively if we have truly never understood or developed the traits that make us human then that could mean we've not even scratched the surface of what is truly realistically possible for us to create I said in the post The Future We Choose that we're all essentially still in Henry Ford's factory. If that wasn't clear, what I mean is that we as a society are still primarily concerned with output, productivity and cutting costs while we destroy the earth that never charges to be here. Our tight grasp of the current system on the one hand and our reluctance to embrace a new story of human potential, on the other hand, are keeping us locked into a story that was never ours to live if the current story of evolution and human development and all its outcomes and constraints no longer work for us, then it is critical that we adopt a new, more empowering story. The story where you ask yourself what you're actually capable of, what you want to see in the world and trust that you have the capacity to bring it forth because of your ability to conceive it as a possibility. We have underutilized our nervous systems, our bodily organs, our imaginations, our energy, our emotions and our communities, namely because the story we have been told about who we are and continually repeat to ourselves doesn't include or require them. It seems we haven't begun living our true story yet. And the only way we can ever begin to is to revise the narrative of who we are and what we are capable of, nay, responsible for creating. Cooperation as an existential imperative. So, the setting of our story is planet Earth, or the Milky Way galaxy if you're feeling galactic. Our conflict is that we do not know or remember who we are or why we are here. And due to artificial capitalist factors, we also have limited resources such as time, money, food, and energy while we figure it out. Do I have all of that right? Where do we go next in our story and what can we do? Well, due to the pervasiveness and stickiness of the theory and story of evolution, we have all been indoctrinated to prioritize competition where collaboration is most helpful and force where flow is most appropriate. We treat the characteristics that make us diverse as threats instead of invitations, neglecting what makes us similar and interdependent. Since we are so convinced that struggle has been and continues to be beneficial, it is nearly impossible for us to consider, much less believe we might be better together. We have been socialized for struggle and competition and hold the belief so firmly in place that we cannot see how our aim to be the best or the only is assuring our destruction. In the classroom and on the world stage, if we look beneath the surface, we can see how being the best and every other variation of the survival of the fittest doctrine is in reality unhelpful at best and destructive at worst. Consider neglected students in the classroom and nuclear weapons stockpiling on the world stage. Darwinian evolution and survival of the fittest have led, perhaps unintentionally, to the unchecked capitalism and rugged individualism that has resulted in massive waste, duplicated efforts and stifled creativity. The kind of creativity that could create an entirely different world. Capitalism also works to destabilize and snuff out cooperation. For example, unions. The kind of cooperation that would ensure our continued survival and thriving on the planet. I joked with friends that society did to Darwin what they did to Martin Luther King Jr. taking his early remarks and memorializing them in our systems and cultural ethos while ignoring updated insights from the same mind. Later in life, Darwin had a seeming change of heart regarding his origin of species conclusions on individual adaptation and survival. Where his origin highlights superior individual strength, in his later book, The Descent of Man, Darwin describes survival strategies in nature based on unity and cooperation. He summarizes his observations by saying, those communities which included the greatest number of the most sympathetic members would flourish best and rear the greatest number of offspring interesting this seems to me to be a major departure from the previous telling of natural selection as a primary means of evolution lost to history others echoed this same message on the importance of cooperation to the successful continuation of a species Russian naturalist Peter Kropotkin, conducting research in northern Siberia, described that he'd found that cooperation and unity, rather than survival of the strongest, are the keys to the success of a species in his study of the benefits experienced by ants living cooperatively rather than competitively. He says these benefits, including their courage, pluck and superior intelligence. All these are the natural outcome of the mutual aid, which they practice at every stage of their busy and laborious lives. John Swamley, a professor of social ethics, quoting Kropotkin, states that competition within or between species is always injurious to the species. Better conditions are created by the elimination of competition by means of mutual aid and mutual support. our survival and our ability to thrive and develop into all we can be is directly related to our ability to support each other the darwinian notion that only the strong survive was based on thorough but limited misapplied observations from a time before we had access to the science tools and awareness we have now this perpetual and pervasive human struggle to the top the resulting races to space we've seen, and everything in between is directly detrimental to our group's survival chances. What truly ensured our advancement is mutual support, sympathy, and furthering each other's goals. Anything else is ego, vanity, and social Darwinism repackaged. We need each other. And given the brink we're all currently on, that need is more critical now than ever. Conclusion Darwinian evolution and the foundation of our society it heavily contributed to may very well be the ground upon which our greatest problems stand. Of course, I can say that it's up to us to choose the future we inhabit, but if we don't consider the likely misconceptions regarding our origins, we risk setting out on a journey both alone and under-equipped. We are much more than we think we are. There are aspects of ourselves we've not even begun to think about tapping into, and these underutilized aspects of ourselves are what make us human. Not your ability to work, not your relationship struggles, or any other disempowering thing that we assign to our humanity. Among other things, being human means being extraordinary, even among 7.8 billion others. It means being creative and being a vessel for otherworldly expression. More on that in future posts we've never been taught who we are or what we're capable of because we've ceased to see the need for the rampant consumerism that is required for a system like the united states to function a war if you're already on a mountain peak like the current story of evolution places us there is nowhere else for you to go you've arrived but if you're at the base of a mountain of discovery like this one the ascent before you could likely change your view of yourself your life and what's truly possible. I know that in your heart of hearts, you know that you are more than what you currently are and can do. And I intend to help you know that heart and live out the story that is only yours to live while connected to yourself and others. There is such beautiful, necessary work ahead of us, but I need us to first disavow the value of force and struggle and competition. It's time for a new story, yours, mine, and ours. Melvin. I invite you to live from this realization.